Hey everybody, Jason here. Before we get started, after I recorded the show, I heard another podcast I want to point you towards. We had a discussion on this show about the gold piece economy and D&D and things like that. And now M.W. Lewis over at the Worlds of M.W. Lewis has put out an episode all about this and about, you know, the gold piece economy and why it works in specifically Advanced Dungeons & Dragons. So that's episode 230 of the Worlds of M.W. Lewis podcast. So go search for the Worlds M.W. Lewis podcast. It's episode 230. It was released on the 31st of December, 2023. And he explains why the gold piece economy and taxes and everything work correctly in AD&D. And it's guaranteed to make steam come out of Daniel Norton's ears. So highly recommended. Check it out. And now let's get on with the show. I, uh, <laughs> I'm going to beat the dead horse because, you know, that's what I do around here. I kind of, you know, I see the flames dying on something and I just, I just throw another log on there. How many uh, metaphors can I use here? The way that sci-fi treats radiation as mutation is kind of wrong. Radiation just kills you. Is D&D post-apocalyptic? It definitely feels that way. What pops up a beer or a cold libation? I can tell you how I wrote this little theme. I went and took a call from brother Jason, and he tells me that he has a little dream. He says he needs a backwards intro to begin his podcast, and I ask him what you got. He said I'll start off with some talking and some moody clips of popcorn, fighting fantasy explorations and some groundless exploitation. Kickstarts that I'm watching and some blind unboxings, full month or movie marathon. Sometimes I'll let the box come on, contest and of course you know it's all about games. That's a slogan. Let's just start with the name. It's the Nerds RPG Variety. Jason. Welcome back to the Nerds RPG Variety Cast. I'm your host, Jason. Welcome to 2024. There'll be some minor changes to the podcast, but for the most part, I hope to bring you the same kind of product, or service, or entertainment, I don't know, that, that I've been doing all along. Uh, still plan to have guests on, still plan to play phone calls, and I still plan to talk about nonsense. Speaking of things that aren't nonsense, Matt Finch has a Swords and Wizardry Discord now. I will put a link to that in the show notes. I am also spinning up a solo RPG campaign. I'm going to, after going back and forth, you know, I've wanted to play through some of these classic D&D modules that I never played as a kid or, or even as an adult, and trying to figure out what system I was going to use, Rule Cyclopedia, and I'm probably going to make some people sad, but I kind of settled on the idea of doing experiment and using Dungeon Crawl Classics to run through these Rule Cyclopedia, or not Rule Cyclopedia, but some of these Beckme, you know, the D&D line modules, not AD&D modules, but D&D modules. So we're going to see how that goes, but that is going to be covered on my blog. So I am starting up a blog in 2024, and the solo campaign will be talked about there. My aim is to put up a post once a week talking about that. I also plan to do a podcast once a week, nominally. So 
Wednesday or Thursday of each week, I'll drop a podcast. There'll still be some special episodes that'll drop on Saturday or Sunday. Um, I've got one coming up. We're talking, well, I, I don't want to give anything away, but in case it falls through, but I've got an interview lined up with a game designer. So that ought to be fun. Hopefully that'll be out soon. That'll come out on a weekend. And then we're doing the Water Hill retrospective series. So once each month this year, I'm going to talk with somebody about a Water Hill movie. Um, that ought to be a lot of fun. If you're interested in talking about a Walter Hill movie, reach out to me and I'll let you know. I've got a number lined up already, but there's still some openings. The interesting thing is I was actually planning on closing the doors and having an episode on the 31st of December saying, you know, that's it. Podcast is over um, due to real life challenges and and things going on. I, I need to reclaim my time. The podcast takes, well, has been this past year, been taking three to five hours a week, roughly. And then, of course, you're, anybody that podcasts or does creative stuff can tell you, you're thinking about that even when you're not doing it. And the issue with the podcast is I can't do it with my family. I mean, I could have them on the show, but when I'm recording or when I'm editing, that's kind of a solo activity for the most part, unless I have guests on the show. And this really hit, I did an interview with Jay Murphy over at Vanishing Tower Press last year, and he mentioned how, you know, he used to paint, he taught himself and was a painter, but he switched to designing RPGs because that's something he could do on the couch next to his wife. And blogging is something I can sit on the couch next to my wife while she's watching TV and do. And same thing with solo gaming. But I can't record podcasts or edit podcasts on the couch next to my wife. So that's one of the reasons we're scaling back a little bit. But I really love doing the podcast. I love the interaction when I have guests on. And I love the interaction with all the callers. And I, I enjoy that quite a bit and want to keep that going. So that's kind of probably more background than you need, but luckily you're not getting, I'm not putting a sign on the door, kind of like um, Archibald Henderson, Commandant of the Marine Corps, who famously tacked a sign on his door, gone to Florida to fight the Indians, we'll be back when the war is over. He actually led, <laughs> he went to the field as Commandant of the Marine Corps and, you know, led some of those Indian campaigns um, back in like 1836, 1837, so... Very interesting, um, you know, the idea. Well, George Washington led the army in war, too, as president, right? So, I mean, we don't see, obviously, that anymore, which, well, let's not delve into politics. <laughs> um, anyhow, let's talk about last year. So I mentioned the Water Hill movies. And last year, we did a series for Albert Pune. And one thing we talked about in some of the discussions, some of those episodes but not all of them, was what RPG would you use to play this movie? So I went back and I reached out to the people that did those episodes with me, and I want to talk about what system they would pick to run that game and what system I would pick to run that game if we were going to play a game for those movies. And then I'm also going to cover the Monday movie or Movie Monday episodes and what game I would use to run those movies. Now, the Movie Monday was an idea Goblin's Henchman came up with, where every month we all watch a movie, 
and then people send in their thoughts on the movie. And I put together a show at the end of the month where we included everybody's thoughts and played them all. That's still happening. But it's now being hosted over on Spencer, a.k.a. Free Thrall's podcast, Keep Off the Borderlands. There are links to that in the show notes. So This month's movie, January 2024's movie, is Time Bandits from 1991. I've already called my entry into Spencer. I hope you guys watch Time Bandits and send your entries in. Even though I loved hosting Movie Mondays and I really enjoyed it, I think having it switch from podcast to podcast shows that it's bigger than any one podcast. And, and, it, and I like that idea, right? To fall back to politics, the idea of, you know, the presidency is going to be handed off. It's, you know, it's going to move on. It's not a position for life. Something George Washington kind of cemented. Because um, he potentially could have stayed there, but he, you know, intentionally stepped down. But, but I like that. I, I kind of like the idea of it moving around amongst the different podcasters and, and sharing that love. But I, I hope you guys continue to support that. Like I say, links are in the show notes. And this month's movie is Time Bandit, so I hope you, you do that. But I'm going to do the same thing for that. I'm going to go through the 2023 movies for Movie Monday and talk about what system I would use for those. So that's kind of what I'm doing today. And then I've got a couple calls I'll play after that. And that'll be the episode. So, let's talk about these movie picks. The first movie in the Albert Pune series was The Sword and the Sorcerer. And Jason Hobbs was my guest for that. In my so- in the theme song that TJ did for me that you heard at the beginning of the show, you hear me referred to as the other Jason. That's because Jason Hobbs is the original Jason. Of course, you can find Jason over at Random Screed and Hobbs and Friends. He streams, streams games on Twitch. Um, does a lot of things. In fact, Jason was recently recognized by Bryce over at 10-Foot Pole for excellence in a zine, I guess you would say. And, you know, it, it, it's praise well-deserved. Jason does great things. But when I reached out to Jason and asked him, what game would you use for Sword and the Sorcerer? He said, I, would, I think I could run almost anything, but would default to OSE or Tales of Argosa because I know them best. And Tales of Argosa is the kind of the extension. It it I don't think it's out yet, but it's like a grittier version of low fantasy gaming. So if you're familiar with low fantasy gaming, Tales of Argosa is like a grittier version of that. For me, I think for Sword and Sorcerer, he's right. You could use and, and here's the thing for a lot of these, especially the fantasy ones. People pl- use these movies for inspiration for their D&D games, and whatever game they're playing, they kind of recreated these movies in their own in those games. So you could use anything for them. But I think I would u- probably use Dungeon Crawl Classics. In the Sword and the Sorcerer, especially, we see there, there's a, you know, Pune kind of pulled from Conan things quite a bit, right, from Robert E. Howard. We have the, obviously, your villain there is, is straight out of Hour of the Dragon, and then we have a crucifixion scene. You know, it's interesting. <laughs> in, in in the first, like, five months, first half of 1982, we have two sort and sorcery movies, The Sword and the Sorcerer and Conan the Barbarian, and both of them have our hero being crucified, uh, which comes out of Howard's A Witch Shall Be Born, right? But in The Sword and the Sorcerer, we see him free himself. He doesn't need somebody to come and free him. 
he actually, you know, pulls his own hands off the because he's crucified during a they're having a dinner around where he's crucified up and he and he manages to free himself. But I, I think I would probably use Dungeon Crawl Classics, you know, because I'm kind of on a kick. But you could really do the Sword and Sorcerer with anything. You need a system that lets you break the rules occasionally um, for doing things like, you know, freeing yourself. And you need something that will support crazy weapons because we have a lot of crazy weapons in the Sword and the Sorcerer. The most obvious is the Tri-Sword where the blades shoot out. But, yeah, I, th I think you'd do it with most fantasies RPGs. I would maybe use DCC, but... Like Hobbs, I'd be happy with kind of any OSR-ish or TSR-era D&D game. The next movie we talked about the next month was Cyborg with Jean-Claude Van Damme. And Joe, over at Hindsightless, reviewed that with me. When I reached out to Joe, he said, I feel like Boot Hill would be beyond easy to convert to a post-apocalyptic setting. It's got guns, it's got fighting. Seems like it would be a pretty snug fit. And he's not wrong. I think Boot Hill would be very easy to convert to a post-apocalyptic setting. And a lot of these movies feel like a Western. You know, they have a real Western vibe to them, these post-apocalyptic movies. So I think that's a great choice. The only thing with Boot Hill for me, in Cyborg, we have a lot of fighting. We have, we have a lot of set-piece fights. And we want to show different moves. And in Boot Hill... While you have brawling tables in there, and you, he's right, you can definitely do the brawling, it's all random, so you don't get to pick. So you would roll, and then you would describe it after you roll. But I think having, because Jean-Claude Van Damme's character in that is, you know, more trained, and we see more trained martial arts, I think I would go with something like Street Fighter, the storytelling game by White Wolf. I, I think that Street Fighter game, almost simulating a side-scroller, you know, video game, like Street Fighter... Um, actually would be a great way because you think about um, the movie Cyborg, you might have a few skill tests or something going on in there, but for the most part, it's set-piece side-scrolling fights, right? And, and so I think that Street Fighter video game would work great for that. My buddy Eric over at the Omega 3D Chicken Coop also is working on a game called Final Round that would, would simulate this wonderfully, but I hesitate to recommend it just because it's not available for anybody to pick up right now but if that was on the market already I, that final round is by the omega 3d chicken coop would be my pick for this okay the next movie was also uh, co-hosted by joe doll man joe didn't give me a, a pick for this for me i would use savage worlds savage worlds lets you do all kinds of crazy things it lets you mix things together and there are some good Adventures out there for Savage Worlds already that have shrunken characters and mix size classes and things. Um, I was going to run a Dollman versus Dynamic Toys, you know, fun movie. I, I was going to run a game based on that at a convention I ended up not being able to go to, but I was going to use Savage Worlds for that. So Savage Worlds is kind of my go-to for this. The next movie was Nemesis, and Carl over at Gemologist Presents, who's now big into YouTube, go check his YouTube channel out. Carl joined me to discuss Nemesis, and Nemesis is kind of like a, it, it's not the same world as Cyborg, but you have cyborgs against humans, and it, it's a dystopian future, I guess would be the right word, um, but it's kind of like humans are slowly being picked off by the cyborgs, cyborgs are taken over, and 
anyway, Carl picked Car Dark Conspiracy, which has really good cyborg rules in there. Dark Conspiracy uses the same rule set as the old original, well, or maybe second edition, Twilight 2000. Personally, for Nemesis, I think I would go with Heroes Unlimited or Ninjas and Super Spies from Palladium. I think they offer crazy abilities, and and your characters in those games can get tons of attacks per round. And I think you could emulate the frantic nature and, and the crazy fights you see in Nemesis with Palladium pretty well. So that's the way I would go with that. The next movie was Omega Doom with Daniel over at Bandit's Keep. And it's funny, Daniel went through a couple systems. I, I had picked a system, then I reached out to Daniel. Daniel picked a couple systems, and he said, oh no, wait, Cyborg Commando is perfect. I said, that's what I picked. Because Cyborg Commando, you've got a limited amount of energy, you run down, your characters are, are kind of crap. Well, Omega Doom, that's kind of the same thing. <laughs> so, yeah, Cyborg Commando for Omega Doom, that was a unanimous decision. Uh, the next one was Captain America with BJ from the Arcane Alienist podcast. BJ is starting to put out more regular episodes again. Go check out the Arcane Alienist. Great show. He says, I'm not as familiar with all the Supers RPGs out there, but I think I'd pick one of the Marvel ones. However, I'd probably build Cap and the Red Skull from scratch to fit the movie version instead of the pregens. Or I'd use Fate. Interesting. Fate would actually work, as would the the different Marvel RPGs, no doubt. Personally, I'd pick Marvel Superheroes, the TSR version, but that would give a more comic book version than the movie version. Because the movie characters in in this version are, are a little bit lower powered. So th that might be a good call doing fate. Okay, the next mo two movies I kind of reviewed on my own. I didn't have a guest. We had Ravenhawk and we had Vicious Lips. For Ravenhawk, again, we have these set piece battles and some other things going on. I think I'd use Ninjas and Super Spies to show different kind of martial arts styles. Again, Palladium game. And then Vicious Lips, I'd also go to Palladium with Beyond the Supernatural. You'd have to add some space stuff, but I think Beyond the Supernatural work really well with Vicious Lips. Um, the next one, Radioactive Dreams, is one Daniel joined me again. And Daniel said that with Radioactive Dreams, you could do it with almost any role-playing game. But I would like to go with a modern one, as the tech did not seem super high, and there were not really mutants in the sense of Gamma World. Again, I might lean into Top Secret, but I bet a game that had noir vibes would be better. I'm just not that familiar. Could be Pulp Cthulhu as well. Pulp Cthulhu could actually work really well. So for those who don't remember Radioactive Dreams, we have our two main characters who have been locked in a bunker, and they've grown up reading detective fiction, noir fiction, and they, they leave the bunker thinking they're private eyes, and they get into this crazy thing chasing around keys for atomic missiles in the wasteland. I would use the Morrow Project, I think. Um because the Morrow Project kind of fits the vibe of leaving the bunker and and searching things out, and it supports some kind of limited mutants and things like that. So I would use the Morrow Project for it. But you you could do you could do any of these with just about any game, really. The next one was Alien from L.A., and Spencer over at Keep Off the Borderland joined me for that. Spencer said, Electric Bastion Land with no magic, just some weird technology. I think that's a great choice. Um, I had written down Hollow Earth Expedition, or maybe even Ghostbusters. The the old West End game Ghostbusters would work. Because Alien from L.A. is not a real serious thing. And you want your character to be fairly um, successful in what they try to do. So, But you want some hilarious stuff to happen too. So, But 
yeah, I, I think that would all work. You, you definitely want a little bit of an adventure vibe, though. You want a little bit of that swashbuckling vibe going on with Alien from L.A. Because you are exploring the hollow earth, you know, the center journey, the center of the earth. The next one was Brain Smasher, a love story. Again, we had Daniel from Bandit's Keep. Daniel says, I'd be tempted to use Night of the Ninja or Top Secret as there was a decent amount of hand-to-hand -hand combat as I remember it. I agree with him, but for me, the hand-to-hand -hand combat in Brain Smasher wasn't really detailed. It was just more Andrew Dice Clay punching... Well, they weren't ninjas, and <laughs> were they? But I, I would pick Rhesus, I think, for Brain Smasher. I think Rhesus or Rhesus, however you want to say it, would you could make your detailed character your not detailed, but you make your characters with your cliches and they'd be successful, but the actual details of the fight aren't that important. The last one of the regular series was Mean Guns. And again, Carl from the Geomologist Presents joined me. Mean Guns was a, a modern shoot 'em up, effectively. A bunch of mob guys got locked in a prison with a bunch of guns, and you know, the goal was to walk out alive. Be the only one to walk out alive. Carl picked Millennium's End or Twilight 2K4E, both great choices. I would pick Cyberpunk 2020, or at least use the interlock system, because I think that's the best match of realism and cinematic for modern gunfights. And then there, there's the first of the Water Hill series. I'm doing the Water Hill movies this year, but we kind of launched it in December. Anthony, or Runeslinger, from Casting Shadows joined me, and we talked about Streets of Fire, a rock and roll fable. Anthony said, if you're on the story is product side of play preference, you could have great fun with Power by the Apocalypse or Broken Compass, but I would suggest 2D20, particularly its Fallout version. If you're on the story is byproduct side, I would enjoy amping up the threat and sense of skill with Mithras, but will suggest the new system for SLA Industries, S5S, but the original system would be cool too. I believe that's also the system used in term, the new Terminator game. So great things from Anthony there. Yeah, for Streets of Fire, you want pretty competent characters, and you, you want to be able to emulate you know, both combat skills and, and some non-combat stuff, some driving skills. Um, so I, I think those are all great choices. I don't think you would necessarily go wrong with, with any system here. Anthony even mentioned to me that he had recreated the Sledgehammer fight using Vampire the Masquerade and, and World of Darkness in the past. I'd be tempted to use Cyberpunk 2020, I think, at least the Interlock system, maybe Interlock Unlimited, because I think that does a good job of letting you intimidate and charm people, plus gives you that the cinematic fighting capability. And if you if your characters are high enough level or have the right skills, they're pretty competent, hyper-competent, but not perfect. So I And I think you could replicate that long fight at the end with, with that system as well between two characters that are kind of evenly matched. So, yeah, I, I think I'll go with Interlock Unlimited, but but I don't go, think you could go wrong with almost any modern system. You know, Palladium could also easily do this. Okay, for the Movie Monday series, really quickly, I know this episode's running long, uh, the first one we covered it back in May of 2023 is Clash of the Titans. I would use Barbarians of Lemuria or maybe Mazes and Minotaurs, which is a free RPG you can download. Check it out. It's really good. Uh, Barbarians of Lemuria. I ran a, a Barbarians of Lemuria game based on Clash of the Titans and other Harryhausen 
Greek movies, so I, I would go that way. For the Dungeon Master, again, this is a Ghostbusters Erisis for me, because the system doesn't really matter as much. You're bouncing around. It's more about the character concepts and just being able to get through the story, almost. For The Prince's Bride, I would use Honor and Intrigue, which is a swashbuckly version of Barbarian's Lemuria. Hawk the Slayer, maybe Rule Cyclopedia using the Weapons Mastery, or Beckme, you know, using the Weapons Mastery rules. I think you want the Weapons Mastery rules for some of the feats they pull off in Hawk the Slayer. But again, this is a, a movie that people have done since it came out with whatever version of D&D they played. Lady Hawk, um, ag again, you, you could, Lady Hawk's a more serious one, so maybe Honor and Intrigue again fits here really well. Um, Revenge, now, th that same month I did Revenge of the Ninja, of course that would be Night of the Ninja, N no question about that, because Night of the Ninja is 80s ninjas doing mercenary things. The Beastmaster would, for me, be Palladium Fantasy, there is a Beastmaster class in some of the expansion supplements, um, but I think Palladium Fantasy lets you do all the crazy stuff that you see in the Beastmaster. For Crawl, I think I'd use ICRPG because you have characters can do neat things and you have an interesting world. You have a mix of sci-fi and fantasy stuff, but your characters can die. I mean, we have pretty high body count for our heroes and crawl. So I think ICRPG would fit pretty well. For Conan, the Conan Christmas, I would do Barbarian's Lemuria. To me, Barbarian's Lemuria is the system for Conan. If you have Barbarian's Lemuria and you have Marvel's it, it's like the Marvel handbook to the Conan universe, which is a, a comic given the, you know, but it's kind of like a little comic encyclopedia for Conan. That's all, that and the Howard stories, of course, are all you need to run Conan. You, you don't need a dedicated system. Barbarian Slimori does great. Okay, so that is the movies I would have used. In this year coming forward, we're going to mention the movies on those podcasts, so you won't have to hear me go through them like I did today. Now, let's open up that mailbag. Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Well, maybe it's your auntie or a joke by your spouse, but the operator's screaming is coming from inside the house. We're going to start off with Riley from the Diegetic Advancement Podcast. New podcast, I highly recommend you go check it out. Some interesting things that Riley's talking about over there. At the time of this recording, there are only four episodes. There may be more by the time this is published. So it's easy to get into and, yeah, interesting thoughts. So, Riley, I'm going to thank you in advance for the kind words that you say. He's going to say some nice things about my last show. And then also, not the Rule Psychopedia episode, but the one before. And then talk a little bit about the post-apocalyptic thing. Then we have two more following calls about post-apocalyptic gaming and definitions and everything else. The first one from Carl, the Geomologist Presents. And Carl recommends using Cataclysm for fantasy games instead of post-apocalyptic, saving that for more science or science fantasy games. And I think that's a great call. 
And then the next call is from Daniel, the Bandits Keep Media Empire, who kind of does a great job summing up my thoughts about these games, surprisingly enough. So I'm just going to let you listen to these calls as opposed to respond to them individually. Hey, Jason, Riley here. Just wanted to call in, say, totally sympathize with the lack of time. And it's a bit sweet to hear that you're passing on the mantle of host of Movie Mondays. And a really great job with that. It's still in good hands, so hopefully that continues to go on strong. And hopefully you get some time back in, in your week. I did watch the Conan movie. It was great. So thanks for putting that on. It's interesting. It's got yeah points for we don't need the thief in D&D. Conan's definitely not a stereotypical thief, but he can do all the thiefy stuff. But we also have a character that, that calls himself a thief. So, yeah, point for, for either side, I guess. Been really liking the discussions that you've been having recently on, on the call-ins. I don't want to add too much to it because uh, I'm just going to agree with you a bunch. Gold versus silver. We just look at the gameplay effect of, of those systems and whichever one suits your game. Choose that. Is D&D post-apocalyptic? It definitely feels that way. You've got humanities that's spread out, wilderness in between, ruins filled with strange technology and magic that doesn't exist anymore outside that, uh, the rise of chaos, rulers that don't have the resources to combat that, so they need adventurers to do it. Certainly seems post-apocalyptic. And again, we can get into the definitions of that and whether it fits a realistic definition. D&D feels that way, for sure. And if you remove all that stuff, it, it would be a different game. So anyway, looking forward to this, what you do in 2024. I hope you had a great holiday season, and I'll uh, talk to you later. Bye for now. Maybe we have to change the term where post-apocalyptic refers to like a sci-fi type of world whereas cataclysmic post cataclysmic can refer to more of a fantasy world i was actually just thinking well what is a mix of that well i was thinking of coyote and crow where it is cataclysmic because a meteorite hit 700 or so years ago on our earth in an alternate timeline and destroyed uh, the northern hemisphere and the people in what we call North America, honestly, I can't remember what it's called in Cody and Crow. Well, the, the continent where Cody and Crow is, is sprung um, had to be survival and survivalist. And it still kind of is because there's still like ice age glaciers encroaching into, you know, some of the lands. So people are exploring, people are trying to go across the ocean to see what the hell happened. It's still in recovery. And that is a kind of natural disaster type of cataclysm post-apocalypse um, as opposed to like contagion or, well, so I could, zombie apocalypse, right? Anyway, contagion or nuclear holocaust, right? Um, Twilight 2000, post-apocalyptic, right? Limited nuclear exchange, societies destroyed. Um, but there's still a lot of people. I guess that's the same with like a zombie apocalypse. I don't know. There's no mutants or anything. Although I guess maybe that could come later. Although most, the way that sci-fi treats radiation as mutation is kind of wrong. Radiation just kills you for the most part. Um, it's very rare that you get like these mutations like you would see in Gamma World. So going back to like the Bronze Age collapse, that was also cataclysmic because of tectonic and volcanic activity that destroyed a lot of 
civilization or big polities like the Assyrian Empire, the Mycenaean Greek, uh, Proto-Greek Empire, and then all these barbarians and marauders happened, right? The rise of the Phoenicians and later Carthage, right? So, and the Greek city-states and Persia actually came out of that as well. So actually, it's pretty interesting to think of it. I just learned myself something. Anyway, great stuff, Jason. Um, and I'll talk to you soon. Hey, Jason. Daniel from Minutes Keep Calling In. Happy New Year. I, uh, <laughs> I'm going to beat the dead horse because, you know, that's what I do around here. I kind of, you know, I see the flames dying on something and I just, I just throw another log on there. How many uh, metaphors can I use here? Anyways, <laughs> I don't know if I called in before to say this. And I just want to because I feel like that it's, I seem to be in the minority, uh, as you do, which is that I agree with you about the post-apocalyptic. I think that there's a... I don't know what the actual word is, of course. I should have looked it up before I called. But there's something about the language that when you're using it a certain way, it becomes part of how people talk. Like there is an idea, right? There's a literal meaning of something. And then there's the meaning that is given to something based on conversation, how people talk about it. And I do believe that if you went into a bunch of people that were playing role-playing games, some experienced people, maybe some people that weren't, and you said, I'm going to run a game that's post-apocalyptic, I think what they would imagine, most people would be something closer to Gamma World than something closer to the Black Death and running around getting better wages because there was more, you know, work to be done than there were workers. Like, I just don't think that that's what people think of. Yes, massive death and these things are apocalypses, but I think in gaming, we're thinking about it more from that angle. And I think maybe the word that needs to be inserted in here, but why make things longer, is fantasy post-apocalyptic. Because I think in most cases, the games that I would consider post-apocalyptic, you know, in my mind, and I think most people would think of, are the ones that have some kind of fantasy or sci-fi element to it. That is to say, you know, Gamma World's got mutants, there's a you, let's say uh, Morrow Project, which I have never played, but my understanding is that like it's like you know super high tech stuff that doesn't actually exist in the time, of course, when the apocalypse happens, right? So when they come out of it, they're like more high tech than the people around them. You can think of anything like that where people are finding things from the past, basically a more advanced past in some way, and that in finding it, they're realizing something came before that was wiped out, that we don't know anything about, that was very powerful, and that we want access to because we want the stuff, right? A really great example of this would be the Hyborian Age by Robert Howard, right? We know Howard influenced Gygax in the creation of AD&D. And if we look at that essay, we can see the world shifting and changing, the Atlanteans rising with super science and crashing down and the people becoming savage and people almost becoming like animalistic and then rising up again and having other societies. This is the post-apocalyptic stuff that I'm thinking of when I'm thinking about gaming. I'm not thinking about, okay, a real world thing where a lot of people died, which 100% is true, that that is a post-apocalyptic. I also think that The Walking Dead, which you mentioned, I don't know if I'd call that post-apocalyptic. I think that's during the apocalypse, to be honest. I feel like post-apocalyptic would be 50 years after where most of the zombies are gone, maybe all of them, right? And there's a handful of people that have somehow survived and they're passing on stories about when the dead walked the earth and they're finding weird, you know, cylindrical, uh, some kind of weird metal cylindrical containers that they open up and it's got a sweet drink inside. You know, this is post-apocalyptic to me, not 
uh, you know, let's say Twilight 2000, right? That's a, seems like a really fun game. But my understanding of Twilight 2000 is, again, it's during a massive world war. It's no, or, you know, right after. So to me, that's not the same kind of thing. So that, I'm with you on the, the post-apocalyptic. That's, <laughs> I just wanted to call in and, and, and say that. I, uh, I think that, I mean, I know dead horse beating, whatever, and how people take things and literally and this and that. But I think, right, when you say post-apocalyptic, I pretty clearly know that you mean that. Oh, so going back to the original point, which you originally made was, yes, I 100% think AD&D is. I think we see signs of it in Blackmore. Uh, which, of course, was a D&D, but we see that there. We see signs of it in AD&D with a Barrier Peak. So those would be two very obvious, although I know that was a crash, not a, a uh, ancient artifact. But we see it with these weird artifacts and stuff. We see that there was a time before, you know, that there was technologies and things that nobody knows about. And that's what you're finding, right? That's the fun of it. Like, we could, okay, so if you imagine in real world, if we dug up, uh, you know, sites, let's say, in ancient Sumeria, right, because they, they, which is super interesting, I would love to run a game in that setting, but anyways, you, and then, like, you dug up some ancient site in ancient Sumeria, and there was some weird artifact that was, you know, had a nuclear reactor somehow, you know, or some equivalent of it, that would be the kind of thing that would be in a game, not you dig it up and there's some cool art and you can learn about their culture and, you know, which is also fascinating, but not really a fantasy RPG to me. Okay, well, feeling like this message is really long now, I just wanted to also add that now you kind of poked me and now I have to run AD&D. So now I'm going to have to run AD&D. You forced me to do it. So there we go. (laughs) Have a happy new year. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, thank you to all three of you for those wonderful calls. I really appreciate it. Some good stuff in there. Generally, I kind of agree with Daniel here. Ultimately, we can talk about the real world stuff and real world definitions, but what are we talking about gaming-wise? And what can we pull for our games? And are we playing a simulationist real world game or are we playing a, a fun adventure game? And I think that that's going to kind of guide us towards what we're looking at. Carl brings up great points about real world radiation, but you know, ultimately I want mutant animals. I don't care about how radiation works in the real world. I'm a Spider-Man fan. I don't care that the radioactive spider would have killed Peter Parker and not given him spider powers. Right. And don't call in with a spider totem crap from the later comics. That doesn't count in Jason's canon. Um, anyway, so, no, great calls. Really appreciate it all. You know, it's funny. I'm glad, Daniel, that you're going to run AD&D in 2024. Hopefully I'll get to play in one of those games. Um, I, I kind of feel we had a swing in the miss when I tried to do the AD&D play-by-post, and sadly your character had a Continual Darkness spell cast <laughs> on their head, and um, that, that was kind of mean of me, maybe. But, I, I mean, all you need was a Dispel Magic or somebody to cast light on you. But it's interesting because for my solo play, which probably should be using AD&D, I am going to use DCC, which is kind of... We'll see how long that lasts. I may switch over to AD&D, and I probably will for the AD&D modules because I plan to solo play through the AD&D modules as well. But for these BX modules, or not BX, for the Beckme modules, for the basic series modules, you know, the regular D&D modules, I kind of think there's... I, I want to play DCC, and there's tons of great DCC modules out there too, don't get me wrong. In fact, I own most of them. But I, I want to play these classic TSR adventures, and I'm curious to see how this mix is going to work. So again, you'll have to follow that over on the blog. But 
I kind of think D&D probably works better as a group activity than an individual, but we'll see when I get around to eventually solo playing that. If you're interested in in the idea of D&D for those kind of games, though, not solo games, but D&D for actually seeing its potential, there's a really interesting video series over on Owen Edwards' YouTube channel. And I'll put a link in the show notes to the first. It's Owen and Prince, which is Prince of Nothing, who is a famous, infamous RPG module uh, reviewer as a blog. Age of Dusk. He also does the No Art Punk contest. But anyway, Owen and Prince talk about AD&D and high-level play and different-level play. It's really interesting. I linked to the first of the series in there. Uh, overview of the classic D&D adventure game, but the later talks they have that you can find on that same channel are the Dungeon Adventure, the Wilderness Adventure, the City Adventure, which is a, a really fun episode. I really enjoyed that one. We have the Campaign, and we have High Level Play, and that that's what's out so far. R- really interesting video series. Speaking of videos, Tim Shorts over at Gothridge Manor is starting putting out YouTube videos again. And he just put up a Shadow Dark unboxing on his YouTube channel. I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. He's planning on putting out more YouTube videos, including some joint shows with Joe Lawyer. So watch for that in the future. Okay, I think I have overstayed my welcome. So I appreciate everybody hanging in there. I appreciate all of you that call in and all of you that listen and everybody I interact with, whether it's on Discord or by email back and forth. Thank you to TJ Drennan for the wonderful music, Ray Otis for the Coffee Cup Clip Art, and I look forward to interacting with folks here in the new year. Take care of yourselves. Be excellent to each other. And remember, folks, if you sent a call in to Jason and you haven't heard it on this episode, have no fear. It will appear. Joker by your spouse, but the operator's screaming it's coming from inside the house. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? Well, the audience is pretty sure he took a pretty head, and the only question left is if I could shoot him dead. Bring on the glow, bring on the glow. There is a dustbin in your moil's by the tipper And I'm assuming that your partner back there in the wood chipper Don't look away Don't look away Don't look away Don't look away Well the zombies are rising and the world's gone to hell We're living for the dying and we're dying for the train wreck